Hey folks, welcome to the Dark Horse Podcast live stream number 130 something. Nine. 139, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did not uh, think to look up the number, but yeah. uh, 139. Okay. So we were, uh, of course, off last week That's unavoidably right. as our producer was, uh, was in Ecuador. In Ecuador. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, not just metaphorically, he was actually physically on the ground in Ecuador. Yeah. Um, just but, back, still um, spiritually, still there a little bit psychologically, mentally. Absolutely, yeah. yes, he's uh, coming down from the mountains. <laughs> yeah. yeah, indeed. Um, but here we are. Um, we end of August here and everywhere on the planet. Um, end of August. So it is, of course, chilly here in the Pacific Northwest. It is not chilly here because it is the end of August. August being the most perfect month in the Pacific Northwest. It is in the high seventies, low eighties. It is perfect here. I haven't checked in in the last hour, but it was chilly earlier. <laughs> it's gorgeous out. Um, we're going to talk to you a little bit about uh, reality and whether or not we shall be allowed to uh, to abide by it uh, in, in modern times. We've got a number of other things to talk uh, to you about today, but all of them have to do a little bit with whether or not what we are seeing uh, with our own eyes matches what we are being told we're seeing or told we have to do. And uh, as usual, we come to you from an evolutionary perspective, a scientific perspective. And and from Portland. And and from a Portland perspective? No, <laughs> That's not, not a, a heterodox Portland perspective. Indeed. But, you know, we will say, as we said before, uh, that here in Portland, uh, a city that we, we do, in fact, love, uh, we are stopped on the street often when we're out um, uh, by other Portlanders who say thank you. Uh, and so, you know, we thank you. And for those of you, for the, you know, the vast majority of our audience who's not in Portland and the some of our audience who imagines that everything that happens in Portland is insane, no, you're wrong. There are a whole lot of people here who are awesome, awake amazing and cannot believe what is happening to this this beautiful city yep yeah i get stopped on the the street and i hear that message and then i get stopped in the street if i choose to uh, drive at the wrong hour because of the traffic it's a, it you know it just stopped in and on the street it's just the nature of, of portland for us we can move right over okay, i don't understand what's happening um so we have a Q&A after this, as we always do. You can ask questions at darkhorsesubmissions.com. Um, I'm not sure if Odyssey is working, Zachary. Okay, so we have chat live on Odyssey. You can go to uh, the same channel, Brett Weinstein, on Odyssey. That's O-D-Y-S-E-E -E, if you're watching live, or if you're not. But if you're watching live, you can join the chat there. Uh, we have... I. I am, not going to talk a lot about it today, but uh, my my Substack Natural Selections. I I wrote a piece this week on fraud. It's called on fraud and being science ish, and it is very much apropos of this moment, unfortunately, in time. How how is it that science has become so prone to having people who are willing to engage in fraud uh, at uh, you know basically being the voice of science, it's its really quite, uh, it's beyond unfortunate and it's potentially going to take us all down. Uh, so I encourage you to look at that if you have not seen it. We are supported by our audience and we thank you for that. Uh, we appreciate you subscribing to the channels, liking, sharing uh, both the full episodes and the clips, which you can find at Dark Horse Podcast Clips on YouTube, on Odyssey. Uh, and of course, we're um, findable on all the podcast places and Spotify and everything. Um, 
Just a reminder that last summer, over a year ago at this point, YouTube demonetized us, even though they demonetized us for um, things about which now it is understood that we were right uh, and we're all along and just, you know, ahead of the mainstream curve. But It's funny they haven't revisited their mm. uh, their claims about us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As if the two things were really unrelated, whether we were right and uh, whether we were uh, somehow unacceptable in their eyes for reasons that had nothing to do with us uh, right. being correct. Here's the thing. We were right and we were careful and uh, we didn't have to have been right to have not deserved uh, to have been thrown off because such is the nature of good faith scientific inquiry uh, that you will sometimes be wrong when you are investigating um, ideas and uh, that is not a crime. As it turns out, we were not wrong, uh, but uh, we are still demonetized. So uh, this is just a reminder that that happened and we appreciate um, you sharing the good word about you know what we are doing and uh, of course appreciate uh, any other kinds of support that you can give if you can afford it. On both of our Patreons, we have uh, conversations monthly. Tomorrow, Sunday, August 28th, it's going to be. We have our monthly private Q&A. The questions are already asked, but it's a small enough group that we actually engage the chat and uh, and they are able to answer questions that come up uh, in real time. That's starting at 11 a.m. Pacific on Sunday, August 28th. Uh, which you can find at my Patreon. And Brett has uh, smaller yet conversations on the first Saturdays and Sundays of every month. So those will be happening next week. Uh, we encourage you to join us there. You can also, at either of our Patreons, get access to our amazing Discord community where uh, there are conversations about difficult topics. You can join a book club, karaoke, virtual uh, happy hour, and you never are at risk of canceled for having an uh, an opinion that isn't shared widely by others. Uh, you, you may get pushback. You may get disagreed with. That you could is be, to be lightly ridiculed, but in, <laughs> yes, you know. and and you may be wrong, and you may be told so, and that is as it should be. I'm not saying that. Um, you know, I don't actually know to what degree any of that happens, especially the ridicule. But it's possible, right? It's possible, and uh, it's everyone there whom we have talked to on the discord community that you can access through either of our patreons uh reports it being just a really warm and welcoming community and in fact they've got a um a camping trip planned around the solstice equinox um no solstice no equinox sorry yep um i think i think the email i got maybe said solstice since the e it's going to be the equinox maybe i'm just making stuff up here but there's a camping <laughs> trip planned um with people who who met there on the discord you would so want to pack really differently for the solstice you would yeah. but you'd have longer to do so yes true you'd, you'd <laughs> definitely be able to get your ducks in a row Indeed. Or, unless they've migrated they south. probably will have migrated yeah. by then in which yeah. case uh, but they migrated in a row or a v yeah get your ducks in a v <laughs> that's actually a way better sentiment it is yeah yeah um and of course we have sponsors and as as always uh, i will i will remind all of our regular listeners and tell any new listeners or viewers that we pick we choose from among the sponsors who approach us very carefully and we only we only have sponsors whose products and services we actually vouch for so without further ado here we go three ads this week as usual our first sponsor this week is new to us and we are as always thrilled to be working with them wisdom health is a healthcare service that matches people with functional medicine doctors to streamline the process of returning you to health or helping you maintain your health so that you can do everything you want to do in the world. Many weird, that is Western educated, industrialized, rich democratic people, suffer from nagging health issues like persistent digestive problems or skin breakouts or chronic pain. 
Others may feel low energy or sluggish or burnt out and not know what to do about it. As we discuss here on Dark Horse a lot, and in A Hunter-Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century, our book that came out uh, almost a year ago, hypernovelty is at the root of many of those problems. The rate of change that we are inflicting on ourselves outpaces even humanity's considerable ability to respond to it. Conventional doctors employing allopathic medicine are increasingly not up to the challenge. Diagnosis takes a backseat to alleviating symptoms, you barely know your doctor, appointments are rushed, and the upshot is often meds rather than true solutions. Even many supposedly chronic conditions are reversible, it turns out, if you address the root cause. Wisdom Health is a revolutionary service that matches you with a leading functional medicine doctor to help you address your health issues. Your doctor will spend 60 minutes with you a full hour and go deep into all your health issues to find solutions that truly work. Wisdom Health doctors help you dive deep into your health and create a personalized plan just for you. Unlike conventional doctors, they use diet and targeted lifestyle changes to help you address your real underlying health issues. Functional medicine can be extremely expensive, but Wisdom Health pre-negotiates industry-leading rates for you. Appointments with a functional medicine doctor are just $189, and functional nutritionists are just $115. Join Wisdom Health today, book with your choice of amazing practitioners, and start your journey back to full, vibrant well-being. Wisdom Health is truly a new kind of healthcare. Join today and get $100 off your first appointment at wisdomhealth.co slash darkhorse. Our second sponsor this week is Mudwater. That's M-U-D slash backslash slash, I never know which, W-T-R. <clears throat> which one is that? Is that a slash or a backslash? Uh, that's a backslash. That's a backslash. Okay, M-U-D backslash W-T-R, Mudwater. Mudwater is a coffee alternative made with mushrooms, herbs, and spices. It's got a seventh of the caffeine as a cup of coffee, so you get energy without the anxiety, jitters, or crash of coffee, if that happens to you. More to the point, I think it's really quite delicious. Each ingredient was added with intention. Mudwater has cacao and chai, lion's mane mushrooms, cordyceps, chaga and reishi, turmeric, and cinnamon. This is a terrific product, either on its own or as a warm drink in the morning. You can drink it black or with cream or honey or both. Mudwater also makes a non-dairy creamer out of coconut milk and MCT, and a sweetener out of coconut palm sugar and lucuma, which is the fruit of an Andean tree, which is used by the Inca. You can add those if you prefer those options, if you want to sweeten it or, or, or cream it up a little bit without actually using dairy. There's definitely a hint of chocolate in the flavor and from the cacao, and the masala, masala chai blend, including ginger and cardamom, nutmeg and cloves, brings a delicious spiciness to it. I've been adding it into a smoothie with a banana and ice, some delicious locally made entirely nut milk, mint, and cacao nibs. It's totally delicious. And they've got a wonderful new caffeine-free product designed to be a drink for before bed, which I also love. Mudwater is 100% USDA organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, and kosher certified. Mudwater allows you to build a morning ritual that promotes sustained energy without the crash. Visit mudwater.com slash darkhorse to support the show and use darkhorse at checkout for 15% off. That's M-U-D-W-T-R dot com slash darkhorse. Use darkhorse at checkout for 15% off. And our final sponsor today, we not only love their product, but we also, at least I also, love their spelling. Um, our final product, our final uh, sponsor is Element. That is L-M-N-T. Element Getting is- Getting rid of all those extraneous vowels. Right. You don't need them. You no. can just read it right off the page. Yeah. Element is an electrolyte drink mix that has everything you need and nothing you don't. It's got a lot of salts at 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium, but has no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, yay, and no fillers. Electrolytes facilitate hundreds of functions in the body, including the conduction of nerve impulses, hormonal regulation, and nutrient absorption. Element 
can help prevent and eliminate headaches, muscle cramps, and sleeplessness. We have heard from several friends independently uh, uh, how much they like Element. They drink it every day and feel better doing so. When you sweat, the primary electrolyte lost is sodium. Athletes can lose up to 7 grams per day. Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited to folks following keto, low-carb, or paleo diets. Element is not just for athletes, though. Anyone being active may find they benefit from Element. Even drinking a few glasses of wine can leave you depleted, and Element can help. If you're feeling depleted or dehydrated, drink water and consider Element as well. Right now, Element is offering our listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packets free with any Element order. This is a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash darkhorse. This deal is only available through our link. You must go to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash darkhorse. Element offers a no questions asked refund. Try it totally risk-free. If you don't like it, share it with a salty friend, and they will give you your money back, no questions asked. Um, you have nothing to lose. It seems to me yes. that you would share it with a less salty friend to make them get make them become more salty. Right, a salt-efficient friend. Yes. Right, yeah. exactly. Um, no, I, I, I agree. Yeah. They'll have to amend the, the text. The script, yes. yes. All right, uh, here we are. Here we are. Uh, shall we start? Can we start by talking about whether or not reality shall be tolerated? Yes. I mean, okay. as you point out, that's the really chase. the overarching <laughs> yes. question yeah. uh, from here on until we either uh, surrender and give in to the postmodern apocalypse or resurrect the concept that reality both exists and uh, shall be something upon which we reach agreement through, you know, like a process of rationality mm -hmm. use, use use it as the basis for decisions for instance wow wouldn't that be something can you imagine government governance based on on reality oh, now you're dreaming inferred through you know like science and things <laughs> yeah i can i can actually and i would like to insist on it although i'm not sure my we're insisting. not in that position yeah, but we not. can recommend it they can't stop well they can stop us from doing that yes, but they can. so far they've incompletely stopped <laughs> us from recommending reality to uh, your yeah, patients who chew gum. Here we go. Whatever. I'm sure we're over in mystic and malinformation territory once again, recommending reality to help you with your everyday needs. Once you see that solution set, it's kind of a big territory. Mm, it is. It is. So I just I have three um, three examples of reality not being tolerated here that we're going to talk about uh, before we move on to the other things in the podcast today. One from just some you know random anonymous account on the internet on Twitter. One from a rando. A, a rando, if you will, which you will, and perhaps they will. I already did. <laughs> we, <laughs> we have reality being denied by a rando, mm -hmm. reality being denied by a magazine that purports to be spreading these scientific discoveries to the lay people, and reality being denied by the actual scientific journals that are supposed to be the place where new scientific discoveries are first revealed to uh, scientific colleagues. Scientific colleagues. Uh, and um, the tone changes between these three domains, as you might expect. The rando and the scientific journal don't sound exactly mm. the same. They don't use exactly the same language, but it is remarkable that all three of them are consistent in just denying what is true? So here we go. Uh, the rando, as, as you, if you insist. Uh, here we go, Zach. This is from Twitter. 
This is from August 18th from an anonymous account at QueerSing. If bioconservatives manage to stop doctors from formally providing gender-affirming body modification to minors, underground alternatives will pr proliferate. Younger folks yearn for morphological freedom too, and will do what they can to live as they wish. Hashtag DIY, hashtag transliberation. Now, morphological freedom is a new one on me. And, uh, you know, don't show my screen again here, Zach, but if you look at the bio for this account, you will perhaps not be surprised to learn that the first phrase in it is queer transhumanist anarchist. Uh -huh. So this is a very transhumanist approach that uh, we are we we are somehow separate from our bodies. We can be more fully separated from our bodies. Our true being exists outside of the somatic existence of us, and uh, all we need is more and better tech in order to realize this amazing dream. It is, uh, you know, for some it sounds utopian, for others of us it sounds dystopian, but regardless of what you think about it, it's just wrong, right? You know, we, we are our embodied experience. We experience things through our bodies and from that develop the senses of what it is to think of the world and how to engage in it. There is no separating us. So this morphological freedom idea, which is very much downstream of transhumanism, is out of alignment with what is true, with, with the fact of, you know, some small number of billions of years of evolution in which we have been embodied. Yeah. And, you know, of course, this drives you into, should a person be free to morphologically alter their body? Well, certainly an adult person has some right to do this within reason, but it is also the case that we recognize that this desire may indeed be pathological and that it is not in our interest to facilitate it, right? Whether that technical right still exists uh, uh, for an adult, it is certainly our obligation to protect children from that impulse, you know, to take cutting, for example, right? To, to the extent that people injure themselves. They have psychological reasons to do it, clearly, but the point is, this is, they may be doing something to control a different harm, but nonetheless, mm -hmm. the point is, yes. this is a harm landscape. Yes. And the idea that just because we phrase it, you know, uh, as if it is just a simple extension of some principle, you know, do we believe in, you know, individual autonomy? Well, certainly. Well, how about morphological autonomy? Right. How about, you know, why would you deny it to children? And it's like you're just being marched in the direction of, you know, actually endorsing uh, harm. And, and there's more too. you know, something that we've talked about here before, which is that uh, trans being real but rare. And um, and I actually I actually know someone who did do a DIY surgery on themselves because they were they had such extreme gender dysphoria and it is excruciating and tragic and. Uh, and, you know, that, that does happen. However, the idea that modern weird people have come up with an ability with high technology to, to modify bodies does not mean that you have a basic human right to the very novel, very technological discoveries of the last some years. 
every moment, every discovery that moderns make does not immediately become a right. Right. And, and, you know, this, the idea of, you know, the, the fundamental human right to bodily autonomy is quite different from there being any fundamental human right to taking advantage of every newest possible technological or medical, uh, not, not innovation, like just treatment or surgery or procedure, um, especially, especially given how off the rails it is, given how reductionist and, and, uninterested in diagnosis and hyper-focused on dealing with symptoms, it is, there's going to be a lot of disaster downstream. Now, I agree with your point, of course, and we've, we've talked about this before, that there is uh, a, a large body of evidence that across many cultures, there is a trans phenomenon of one type or another. I'm not aware of any in which this involves uh, surgical modification, but the point is we are in radical new territory when the point is, uh, you know, I am trans and therefore I need to be physically modified or need to be physiologically modified uh, with hormone treatments or blockers or whatever. And so the point is that's where this becomes a remarkable new argument. Yes. This strikes me as the next phase of an arms race, right? Because it's a threat. The basic point is, well, if you're going to say, well, trans is real, but it has never included the right to surgical modification nor the necessity of it, mm -hmm. right? So if we want those modifications and the medical establishment decides that it cannot in good conscience deliver them, at least to people below a certain age, then we will avail ourselves of the right to modify our own bodies, which is, of course, as you point out, a threat. It can't possibly be safe to do it. Right, somebody yeah. who does not have the training to do this in a way that is uh, um, biotically safe, that doesn't risk the possibility of uh, damaging a blood vessel and bleeding out. I mean, it's obviously extremely dangerous. Well, I, I mean, self surgery. <laughs> yes, <laughs> insane. So, yes, even surgeons don't do it. <laughs> yes, it's even it's even more dangerous than cutting your own hair. Really? Yes. Wow. Substantially more mm. so. I know. I, I, uh, I, will, uh, I, will, I will dredge up the research literature that explains why that is. I look can, forward to seeing that. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. uh, the side-by-side -side comparison. <laughs> <laughs> right. They weren't physically side-by-side, -side, but in the paper, it's two charts. Mm. All right. I have now diverted this conversation Indeed. into madness. Um, but yeah, it's a threat. And the point is, of course, civilization has the right to say... Um, your your right to live as you wish to live is not tantamount to a right to surgical modification, certainly before you have attained uh, adulthood. And this is this is next phase, which yep. is then we'll do it ourselves. Yep. And I mean, I guess before we move on to the to the next example, some things are just not available to you. They're just they're just not. And um, just because you can imagine something or fantasize about it doesn't mean it can be or should be real or possible to you. I'm reminded, I'm reminded of the Rolling Stones. Yes. Right? Um, uh, you, you can't always have what you want. You can't but always if, get what you want. You can't always get what you want. Right. But if you try sometimes. You might find. You might find you can get what you need. Yep. Get in both cases. Yeah. yeah. It's get. It's get. It's get. Um, I feel like, you know, they, they're before our time a bit, but was it that song that played at our high school graduation? Keith Richards is timeless, maybe even physiologically. But 
the band, yes, before. So they were classic. They were classic rock at the point that we were in high school. But I believe it was that song that actually was it that song that we that was played at our high school graduation, or is it a different Rolling Stones song? No, oh, it may well have been I, that I, one. I, I think have, I've completely one. forgotten this, but you've blocked it. I was so it was so traumatic for you. Well, I was. Uh, you were the speaker at our graduation. Keeping an eye on OJ. Who was also at our graduation. Yes, he was. Okay. Um, <laughs> he had already long since graduated, but... Um, but his daughter, anyway. Yes. In any case, I've done it again. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, you have. Yes, you have. Um, really, it wasn't so long ago that it felt like the advances from civil rights and women's rights and gay rights were, uh, were happening we weren't there, but we were clearly moving in the right direction. And we understood that there were trade-offs and that, frankly, you can't always get what you want. But but if you try sometimes. You might find. You can get what you need. I think it's you get what you... No, it's you can get what you need. You're right. Um, I stepped all over your line. No, go Sorry for it. about that. Go. But uh, I, you're, you're much better with lyrics than I am. Um, well, I, I can't forget them. They, yeah. Uh, they plague me, but uh, yeah, because some of them aren't great. But anyway, I digress yet again. Um, I have now lost what I wanted to add to that discussion. I have no sympathy for you. <laughs> Hoisted on my own petard in this yes. case. Yeah. In this case, I have no sympathy for you. In this case, yeah. Um, yeah, I really don't okay. have it. <laughs> okay. Oh, hello. Um, so next example. We have cats are all over the place. It's chaos here today. Yeah, here we go. Um, sorry, for those of you listening, you must be wondering what the hell is going on. Uh, magazines that exist to disseminate scientific findings to the public, uh, such as, is Natural History still in existence or did it disappear? It no, used to I'm be a great magazine and then it went nuts even before everyone else went nuts or it went Uninteresting. As far as I know, it's still okay. Still well, exists. Natural History, Discover, Scientific American. These are um, Omni. Is that a magazine? I make that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was that was never as much in my in my world. But those those first three, like we got those in my house when I was growing up, uh, and they were you know they were understood to be the ways that scientifically interested people uh, can keep up on scientific findings either outside of their own fields if they're scientists or outside of, you know, or they're not scientists, but they're scientifically capable and interested and literate and want to want to know what's what's what. Yeah, it was the popular presentation yeah. of actual scientific discovery. Exactly. And there, you know, there was there was some controversial stuff and there sure. were things that you know you might disagree with because that's the way science works. Uh, and um, and there are also interpretations of things, you know, whether or not the, the finding um, turns out to be true or not, the interpretation of it uh, may separately uh, not, not be the right interpretation. Um, but Scientific American has, I mean, long since jumped all the sharks. <laughs> it feels like not that that's a thing. Uh, but here... Here we have, uh, here I'll put up their tweet before, actually, yeah, you can, you can just put this. This is, again, I picked this up from Twitter where I quote tweet Scientific American and what Scientific American has said is this. Before the late 18th century, hopefully that's not playing. Okay. Before the late 18th century, Western science recognized only one sex, the male, and considered the female body an inferior version of it. 
The shift historians call the two-sex model served mainly to reinforce gender and racial divisions by tying social status to the body. True facts about the male. <laughs> so you know, what, what I said in response, which is, you know, it's an understatement, wherein a scientific publication forgets that reality exists, whether or not humans perceive it accurately. The idea that because that because science didn't understand everything about the universe at some point, there must not have been a reality then, and our confusion now can take precedence, and we can use confusion from earlier to cement confusions now is truly backwards. And like I just I keep on coming back to the Fermi paradox and thinking like this is it. This is this is the kind of society-ending confusion that keeps us from ending up making contact with other conscious beings in the universe. Because if this, then there's there's no amazing space exploration for us. Like we can't do it. <laughs> we can't do it if we think these things. Right. Um, yes. The colonizing of other planets will be uh, much more difficult if we have not at least ensured that yeah. people from the two actual genuine sexes who are still of reproductive age have arrived in these places capable of producing offspring. Um, but I would just point out that even, you know, who amongst us does not in their own mind have rock solid evidence that people have been aware of the sexual binary for Two plus thousand Ever. years, right? <laughs> Two plus thousand, wow. Okay. Well, I'm just saying, if the idea that it was, this was discovered in the 1880s... 18-somethings, I don't know. Let's make it the 1880s. Shall Something okay. like the 1880s, right? The average person mm. knows that the Old Testament, for example, contains a certain number of references to the two sexes, suggesting that people that far back already had become aware of this this binary, yeah. right? No, so I, how is it that Scientific American... And really, I think we need a new category because the okay. purpose there is not to convince anybody of this, nor is this the product of anything that even rises to the level of a confusion, mm -hmm. right? The purpose of this is if you wish to deny the absolutely obvious and incontrovertible fact of two human sexes, mm -hmm. then you're going to need something to work with. In other words, there comes the point in the conversation where you wish to assert that there are not two sexes, and the person on the other side of the argument says, hopefully in a respectful way, you're completely full of shit. And then you need to say the next thing, right, <laughs> about why you're not full of shit. And so the purpose of this is to have that next thing in hand and to have it come from a respectable place like Scientific American. Mm. Because then the person who has called you out for your garbage thinking mm -hmm. is then back on their heels. They may not have a next thing, in which case you win and there are no longer two sexes. That's right. That's right, because that's how reality works, guys. <laughs> that is how reality. That's how reality works, works and yeah. that's why we'll never meet aliens. Wait, wait, wait. That is how reality has always worked. Now I need Scientific American to give me the piece that oh I God. say when you call me out for being full of shit. I'm sure they're coming with it. Well, no doubt. I'm sure they will. So actually, th this strikes me. It hadn't occurred to me before, um, but during your your brief tirade there, <laughs> I thought about quaddies. And so Quatis, C-O-A-T-I, um, also known as Quatamundis, 
are a neotropical, that is to say, uh, the tropics in the New World, in the Americas, Procyonid, which is a relative of the raccoon. They are, they're gorgeous. They're snouty and they're brown and they've got some stripes further back. Not, not as stripey as the raccoon. No. Um, more brown. They're, um, they're forest dwellers. Um, they climb okay, like raccoons climb okay. And they're just, they're, they're quite lovely. The, I think the first time we ran into them, and you've actually got a picture of me sitting next to one, yes. and it was in Monteverde in, uh, in Costa Rica in the cloud forest on the, the first summer that we spent backpacking through Central America. It was near the end of our trip. Um, but what we heard, I believe, on that trip for the first time, uh, and we've heard it since, although because I hadn't occurred to me, I have not gone back and looked into the research here. What we heard then was that when researchers first, when Western researchers were first under discovering the Quatamundi, the Quatamundi presumably having long since discovered itself <laughs> as the original human inhabitants of these forests having long since discovered them. But when Western science came in and was like, aha, I have found it. Eureka, the Quatamundi. It uh, won't exist until it has a Latin name. It won't exist until it has a Latin name, such as the nature of science and reality, apparently. Uh, but now when, when the Quatamundi was discovered, I don't know, this is maybe in the 1880s, um, <laughs> you know, early 20th century, mid 20th century, something. Uh, it was thought that there were two species because one of them, uh, which was, I don't remember, but I'm going to guess it's, maybe a little bit larger body was always seen um, singly. And it was like, oh, wait, did you see it? That was a, I think that was maybe called the quaddy. That was the quaddy. Quaddy. And then there were these like aggregates. There were these ones that always had little ones with them and they had a lot of bigger ones and they were called the mundies, I guess. And as it turns out, the mundies were the females with their babies and they were social because often females with babies are. And the quaddies uh, were the males that were solitary and a polygynous mating system and it all fits together now that we have a better understanding of mating systems and biology and no that doesn't change the underlying reality about what quadis or quadamundis are but it does mean that science got it wrong science got it wrong and then through a, an experiment in which they checked the junk of the <laughs> quadis and quadamundis they discovered which being their procyonids being raccoon relatives was not too easy it of was a, a task yeah. yeah it was a it was a they got scratched up mm -hmm. no doubt but um yeah and boy the nsf grant for that junk checking in <laughs> quadis yeah, i think it had a different title but anyway it's not the only story of this kind in fact the elephant seal went through the same thing um, so there are two species of elephant seal, and I forget which one it was. But the, the thing is that morphologically, elephant seals are so different. Males and females are so different in size and also facial structure. The males uh, are even uglier than the females, which if you've ever seen a female elephant seal, you might find difficult to believe. But no, take a look at a male, even uglier. Yeah, a lot of, a mm -hmm. lot of uh, resonating bulbous, chamber. Bulbous yeah. nasal stuff going on. Um, but anyway, they were understood to be different species until, again, a junk-checking experiment uh, revealed the truth. I want to know what division of NSF that is, like where you apply for the NSF grant for junk-checking. It's checking. right next door to navel-gazing. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, and it's these ex departments are expanding. They're taking over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently taking over the whole NSF. Oh man. Okay, so um, Saturday Night American has lost the plot. Mm. The, the internet randos. Obviously, some of them started off without having the plot. So, okay, Scientific American has lost the plot. They've not lost the plot. They have plotted against the plot. Oh, they're actively plotting against the plot. Yes. Okay. But then also the scientific journals. Mm. And, you know, we've, we've talked about this, uh, a lot in other domains you know, with regard to, you know, COVID -y stuff. Um, but here we go. This is, um, a slightly different topic. Well, it's a, it's, it includes the topic we we're just on, but, 
Uh, and it's an op-ed in the journal Nature Human Behavior. So Nature being one of the two most prestigious scientific journals in the world, the scientific journals being the places that you, uh, you having done your own research, uh, submit for publication. So that's where your, that's where the record of the research lives forever and ever and ever. And nature and science are the two biggest ones considered the most prestigious. And nature, unlike, I don't think science has this, but nature has a bunch of like sub journals. Mm -hmm. And so you've got like nature genetics, nature biotechnology, I think. Nature human behavior is one of them. It wasn't one of the ones I happened to have heard of, even though it's exactly in our wheelhouse. But nature human behavior is is one of them. So they that fissioning began when we were in grad school. Yeah, in the 90s. And it must have continued. Yes, exactly. Because uh, I think nature genetics may have been one of the first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, and, were, there were a few very prestigious ones, and apparently it worked. And so they've yeah, so, spun so, off a few more. Exactly. Um, and so you know, it's it's a scientific journal. Um, under the umbrella of one of the two most prestigious scientific journals, but it also has, there's also always news stories as opposed to, uh, primary, uh, primary scientific findings being recorded and reported there, and also some op-eds. So this is an op-ed from the editors of Nature Human Behavior, who, remember, are effectively the gatekeepers of what shall get published in what amounts to one of the most prestigious places that you can get your, uh, research published. Um, so I will link to this actual link on uh, in the show notes. But if you could take my screen off for a moment, Zach, so that I can just go to my PDF where I have some things highlighted. Oh, where did it go? Okay, so here we go. Uh, this, let me make it a little bit bigger so people can see it. This is the same uh, Nature Human Behavior op-ed published I can't remember, just a few days ago, I think, uh, in which science must respect the dignity and rights of all humans is the title. Subtitle, New Ethics Guidance Addresses Potential Harms for Human Population Groups Who Do Not Participate in Research But May Be Harmed by Its Publication. The first, very first sentence is, although academic freedom is fundamental, it is not unbounded. Just a few. I recommend that you read this whole thing. Um, but let's let me just read the things I've highlighted and let's talk about them. There is a fine balance between academic freedom and the protection of the dignity and rights of individuals and human groups, they attest. Probably true, but so you don't have to write anything down. You can respond to that. Well, I just wanted to point out that that initial assertion. Um, not Academic freedom academic is fundamental. It's fundamental, fundamental, but not unbounded. But it's not unbounded. Freedom is not unbounded. Right. That sounds so reasonable. <laughs> and yes. yet it ought to immediately set off alarm bells about what exactly they are about to steal from you in terms of rights that you had before that you don't have now. And really, I mean, at the, least they don't bury the lead. Right. It's a little cryptic, but they don't bury it. It's right there. Well, they don't bury it, but they, yeah, cryptic is the point because mm -hmm. really, I don't know. At the point I read a sentence like that, I don't know if I need to immediately stand up and object and say, that's where the bodies are going to be buried, or if they're going to say something mundane, like, you know, you're not allowed to murder people in your laboratory. You know, academic freedom is fundamental, <laughs> but it's not unbounded. You can't murder people in your laboratory. Right. Well, I agree, you know, <laughs> yes. but does that mean there are things I can't say? Does it mean that there are out, yes. true things I can't say? In which yes. case, that's where the goddamn the bodies are buried. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. Okay, so again, I, 
I agree. Okay, this is where the fact of Adobe being a little obnoxious. There we go. Okay. Harms can arise as a direct result of the conduct of research. Sure, of course. Harms can also arise indirectly. You can show my screen if you like, Zach. Harms can also arise indirectly as a result of the publication of a research project or a piece of scholarly communication. For instance, stigmatization of a vulnerable human group or potential use of the results of research for unintended purposes, e.g. public policies that undermine human rights or misuse of information to threaten public health. That's an extraordinary half a paragraph as well. They're now claiming that if someone abuses the research that you have done, you are in some ways accountable for their abuse of your findings. Therefore, that is going to be their justification, implicitly, mostly here, but partially explicitly. That is going to be their justification for, therefore, we're going to save you from yourself here. We're going to save you from doing any research which could possibly be misunderstood in any way by any nefarious actors, which, of course, means that's the end of research. That's it. We're done. It's over. Imagine the following, right? Imagine a periodic table in which nitrogen has to be removed because knowledge about nitrogen is indeed prone to misuse. It is. Right? Mm -hmm. That stuff is explosive. <laughs> and you see what I'm saying? Oh, Sodium yeah. also. Get mm. rid of that one. Mm -hmm. You know? Yep. So, I mean, what are they even talking about? I see about? a very rapid shrinking of the periodic table given this slide. Yeah, there's not going to be much mm, left. Not on much the, left. Yeah, it's hard mm. to find an element that you couldn't abuse An there. innocent element. There are none. Yeah. No. I mean, if if innocence means not only are you not guilty of harm, but you are not you are not guilty of having been misunderstood to be guilty of harm. Yes, I guess some of the transuranics are so vanishingly rare and last for such a tiny fraction of a second that maybe they are beyond. Is that what they're called, transuranics? Yeah. Wow. Well, there it is. I didn't know that. Learn something so it's every just like three just weeks. right right above right just slightly larger than uranium yeah 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 okay. um but anyway yeah the periodic table is pretty much a goner there's some there may be a few elements that we eh, can keep but most of them are going to be gone but imagine be whoever used it anyway <laughs> i'm not going to start naming names <laughs> i'm certainly not going to try to spell them but <laughs> but in any case the 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 i'm the, sure mendeleev was a racist or something well, a lot of people had a lot of defects and a lot of other people have used their work. And the problem is the two universes, a universe downstream of that paragraph. Yeah. That is, I mean, um, let's put it this way. This term will become important again on Dark Horse soon. But that is the fast track to a dark age. Yes. If you are not allowed to okay. study yep. things yep. that could be abused by others right i mean that is a completely unscientific universe there is no science in that universe right because who even knows are you allowed to study things that you don't know if they could be abused until your work is done well you probably can't do that work either for the same reason well but it, i mean it also completely puts it puts all the power in the hands of anyone who wants to abuse anything i mean this like you know darwinism has been suffering this fate basically since darwin where the so-called social Darwinists who, you know, stole the word and now forever after, as evolutionary biologists who are actually trying to do good work, are accused of being eugenicists and racists and Nazis and all this. It's like, you know, that was an abuse of Darwinism. And I, I write about this actually in my fraud piece in Natural Selections this week. Like, the fact that someone used the word Darwinism and fundamentally misunderstood what the guy was on about isn't on us. 
isn't on the evolutionary biologists. Just as the fact that some research could be abused by some, you know, idiot or asshole uh, actually is not the responsibility of the person doing the research. It's not. Not. It's not the responsibility of the person doing the research. And here you have the a journal in the family of journals that is one of the premier outlets for science in the world that has declared if that's if that paragraph stands they have declared war on the idea of science and Indeed. and you're right the extrapolation the paragraph if it was applied fairly ends science completely sure. what it will do instead is exactly what you point to which is it will give the power to define what science is tolerated Yes. It will leave that completely arbitrary power in the hands of those uh, awful enough to wish to utilize that weapon. So only the stuff, you know, the abuses they want will proceed and the abuses they or the legitimate uses will not. That's right. That's right. Okay, another another choice. Another paragraph. Another two, two paragraphs in this case. It's not a long op-ed. Uh, I could have just highlighted the whole thing. But here we go. You may show my screen if you like, Zach. Regardless of content type, research, review, or opinion. And for research, regardless of whether a research project was reviewed and approved by an appropriate institutional ethics committee, editors reserve the right to request modifications to or correct or otherwise amend post-publication, and in severe cases, refuse publication of or retract post-publication, colon. I'm going to keep reading here, but I don't care what is about to happen. As it turns out, it's bad, but I don't care what's about to happen. Editors reserve the right to amend post-publication? They're, they're what? Like, you, you, you submit your precious research to a journal and it goes through peer review and it goes through edits and edits and edits and edits and it's published and the editors of this journal are saying actually we might change what it says that you said after it's published that's insane let me just get let me read the next yep. paragraph here what you know and there's four points that they make i'm just going to read the first one so the, the the reasons by which they may, for instance, just change afterwards what uh, what uh, what they already published of yours includes content that is premised upon the assumption of inherent biological, social, or cultural superiority or inferiority of one human group over another based on race, ethnicity, national or social origin, sex, gender identity, sexual orientation, religion, political or other beliefs age, disease, disability, or other socially constructed or socially relevant oops, groupings hereafter referred to as socially constructed or socially relevant human groupings. Now, there's a lot there, obviously. Uh, let's just pick the low-hanging fruit. The low-hanging fruit, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit here, but one of them is Content that is I'm just going to skip to content that is premised upon the assumption of social or cultural superiority or inferiority uh, based on sex. Okay. Women are better than men at seeing the details of situations, and men are better than women at seeing the gist. I have talked about this before. I have the paper uh, on which that conclusion is based. And it's a sort of a forest for the trees and trees for the forest question. This holds across a number of domains. And uh, it is also true, for instance, that on average, 
Women are better than men in linguistic tasks, and on average, men are better than women in strictly mathematical tasks. That's not to say that the best living mathematician might not be a man, or the best living author might not be, uh, rather, that the best living mathematician might not be a woman, or that the best living author might not be a man. I am talking about average differences between groups. This is what we do. Okay. And some of, some of what they're trying to do here is say your categories are wrong. Your categories are lies. And some of the categories that, that science has used and that people have used in the past have been lies, have been wrong, are based on stereotypes that do not hold water. But just to, just to go out to the low hanging fruit here, sex, again, is real, is not a creation of the Victorian era scientists. <laughs> it is in fact real. And on average, there are differences between us that are actually biological, social, and cultural, all of those things. And the cultural and social differences will vary somewhat across, guess what, culture. And the idea that we cannot talk about that and cannot do research into that, well, once again, end of science. And furthermore, and then I'll let you talk, like, what's this journal called? Nature Human Behavior. Like, that's the journal in which they say you cannot talk about biological, social, or cultural differences. Or you're allowed to talk about differences as long as you claim, but it's all equally good no matter what. We're all equally awesome. We all get cold stars on our foreheads, and we can all go over there and sit in the corner and freaking cry because we no longer have any reason to aspire to anything because we all think we're equally good as everyone else, and therefore, what's the point anyway? I mean, it also takes away the desire to actually aspire to things, to imagine that you're equally good as everyone else already is, and that's it, you're done. So you have the editors at a premier outlet reserving the right to alter your work after it comes in or prevent the work from being published. It's published. Right. Yes. But the point is, people who are not in academia will not understand the power of a top journal basically saying what conclusions it's willing to publish, not on the basis that other conclusions may not be right, but on the basis that other conclusions could be abused, right? What they are doing is they're saying, here are the conclusions that are acceptable here. Mm -hmm. Now, A, imagine, what does that mean over at, you know, whatever the proper uh, sub-journal of nature is where climate science happens? Mm-hmm. Do they also have a policy that only science that pushes in the direction of policy modifications in which we address climate change will be published? And sure. in which case, on what basis do we say things like X percent of scientists in climate science agree if the point is, well, there's this force that says basically you're not going to get very far in climate science if you don't agree, right? It becomes circular. Yes. And so in a circular world, where you cannot talk about the superiority of men or women at different tasks where men and women are d- differently capable, right. um, what happens is you will then over time produce the phony scientific impression of similarity, mm-hmm. which will then be used to counter the argument. So basically, this is a positive feedback. Anybody who wishes to say, no, actually, men and women are different, they have different capabilities, and we know that, the evidence is clear, well, the evidence actually, yes, the science used to, the evidence used to be clear, but it has become increasingly clear that men and women are not different. Why? Because of editorial uh, overreach at the journals. Actually, and I had something else to say here, but that reminds me 
of the next two little things that I wanted to read from this, where they have working definitions adopted in the, or adapted from the Sager guidelines and other sources. I don't remember what, oh, Sager is sex and gender equity in research. Mm. I, didn't, I didn't go down that rabbit hole. I'm sure it's ugly. Um, sex refers to currently understood biological differences. Gender refers to socially constructed and enacted roles and behaviors which occur in historical and cultural contexts and vary across societies over time. Sex, well, we currently understand this, but we all know that things change. Gender, though, is this thing. So they've got that reversed again. Sex has been around for, you know, not very many billion of years. <laughs> and gender is the downstream effects of sex on your behavior. And lots of organisms have gender. And this gender identity crap that is now taking over is a totally made up 21st century thing that has no bearing on anyone outside of, well, the entire planet and it's how we're going to dissolve. Because we've all... Oh, I'm done. I'm done. Right. like, oh my God. So you started with the low-hanging fruit which I think is wise, yeah. right? The sexes are different for a reason, mm -hmm. right? Selection made them different for a reason. It's a division of labor issue, mm -hmm. right? Um, That's not, and that doesn't mean it's good. Right. That doesn't mean it's great or fantastic or fun or wonderful. It's just true. It's just true, and it yeah. means that it is squarely within the uh, subject matter for legitimate science. Right. Right? Yes. We can talk about whether it's good or bad or whether there's something to be done to change things that are unfair about it because there are certainly some things that are unfair yep. right but yeah there's a reason for instance that in academia sorry but like in academia there is an active discussion about how to deal with the fact that in general the years during which you are most likely to be hardest at work doing research and building your lab are also the most likely to be your childbearing years if you are a woman. And tenure is on a clock. And how do you stop the tenure clock or pause it or adjust it so as to both allow for the fact that women also have children when they choose to, um, but women also may want to be high-powered academics. And it's you, you cannot disappear the fact that there is a trade-off there and that there's going to be a cost, but there's an active, often good faith discussion about how to do this, how to make it fair both to male academics who, um, even if they are active, active daddies, don't have to go through gestation and lactation. Sorry, no male does. <laughs> but uh, so that that's the kind of conversation that we can have and that we should be having. And hey, we were having in the 80s and 90s and aughts about what the differences between the sexes and moving beyond regressive old expectations of gender roles means as we move forward into a world in which everyone has the ability to choose freely from among their options about what it is that they want to do with their lives. Right. And I mean, in fact, we've, this is a demonstration that our ability to talk openly about this issue actually leads to solutions, right? Because the fact is academia has been democratized between the sexes. It didn't start out that way. But if you look at the number of uh, female PhDs graduating, it exceeds males mm -hmm. in the sciences, at least. Um, uh, in biology. I'm not, I don't think in the sciences across the board. Uh, well, uh, we certainly not that. in engineering. In engineering, it's, it's, it's highly skewed well, males. We would expect it to remain. We want to see a, composite analysis mds too. are are biased uh towards towards women at this point uh and i think i you know again this you know this 
this old saw, which is based on research and which is true, is that on average, women are more interested in people and also organisms. And on average, men are more interested in things. It means that men are more likely, given freedom of choice, to go into things like engineering and math and physics and chemistry. And women are more likely to go into medicine and um, biology of whole organisms. Yep. All right. But suffice it to yeah. say, we have addressed this problem and we did so not by pretending that sex differences didn't exist, but by recognizing that they had implications for career tracks and by making reasonable changes to the way right. power was distributed in these departments. Right. But um, in any case, I want to go slightly higher up the tree and pick some more difficult fruit, mm-hmm. okay? Because this is done in a diabolical way. Yes, it right? is. Yeah. By taking what is obviously meant to imply race and population and cultural differences, Mm -hmm. they are smuggling in the ability to neutralize sex differences. Sex differences are the easy one here, right? What they're doing is they're saying, if you balk at what we are asserting here, then you're probably a racist, right? Right. So the point is, even sex, in which this is such a slam dunk, that these differences exist and are not controversial um, in any circle where people are free to just simply see the obvious, Mm -hmm. And the question is, well, what is the relationship? And I want to point out, and I should tell you, I don't, I shouldn't have to explain what my position as a biologist is on genetic differences between populations, but I will, because it's important for you to understand what I say next and what it does and doesn't imply. I personally am not a big believer that significant differences in capacity between human groups are in the present largely based in genes. I think the genetic contribution is little to none. However, it is certain that differences have to have existed between groups in order for selection to have favored an overall increase in human capacity. So to the extent that human beings are an anomalously intelligent and capable species that happened because human groups differed in capacity and selection favored the elaboration of human intelligence. So the idea that somewhere in the the bulwark of the journal Nature, that they are going to declare war on the concept of differences between human groups means that we can no longer talk about how humans became so capable. Right. right? We cannot talk about the historical fact of differences between populations and the fact that we have all, every living human population has benefited massively from the fact that selection apparently favored greater human intelligence over less human intelligence or hominid intelligence. Yep. So, and I mean, the, go on. So the, I mean, and the, 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 the level of irony here of nature, human behavior. If you, why, you know, how many, there are 4,000 ish mammal species. Why? Heather's going to correct me to five <laughs> splitters, lumpers, the whole bit. There are four <laughs> to 5,000 mammal species. Why does one of them get its own journal under the umbrella of nature? Because yeah, where's it, nature quaddy behavior? Right. Where is nature quaddy and nature muskrat and all of that, right? It's human behavior yeah. that gets its own journal. Why is that? That's because humans are really unusual. 
how did they get unusual if there was not selection between human ancestral populations in which selection favored the unusual traits that justify a special journal of nature? How could that be? That's right. So I guess I'm going to go back down the tree a little bit to okay. easy, easy hanging Lower fruit. fruit. Yeah. But based, based on what you just said, remember that it reads, uh, content that is premised upon the assumption of inherent biological, social, or cultural superiority or inferiority of one group over another. Now, again, I wasn't prepared for this, but there are some groups of humans, some particular unique populations of humans, uh, which qualifies as a human group, uh, who engage in cannibalism. And that is a cultural trait that they engage in. And I am here to tell you that I believe that that is an inferior practice to that which the rest of us do, which is not engaging cannibalism. You are going to run the, you are going to risk our channel on the claim mm -hmm. that cannibals are Infer worse. That is an inferior cultural trait to not being a cannibal. Right. Inferior. And, and that, that right there is something that I guess if I claimed in a publication that I get, in a paper that got accepted by Nature Human Behavior, they have they would have the right to go in afterwards and correct correct my claim and say actually cannibalism it has its advantages. All right, it's fine. It's at the very least we can't say that it's any worse than not being a cannibal. Okay, I think this is a lovely challenge. Um, but what about the case? What suppose I wanted to publish a paper in Nature Human Behavior in which I discussed the effect on the carrying capacity of a given habitat under hunting and gathering mm -hmm. versus farming. And I was mm -hmm. to point out that the farming population on the same patch of territory was uh, you know, ten times the size of what was sustained under hunting. It allows for a higher population density. Am I allowed to argue that that would be evolutionarily superior? Am I allowed to notice if uh, farming populations have driven out hunting uh, populations or caused them to in embrace uh, farming in history? Are we allowed to have that conversation? Right. And, and so evolutionarily superior made more of itself. Right. right? And, you know, superior for the people who are the hunter-gatherers? No, worse for them. Superior for the land in which the farming took place? Not necessarily. And once we're talking about monocropping and big egg, definitely not worse. I mean, definitely not better. Much, yep. much worse. But produces more of the people that the thing was created to produce? Yeah. So success, better at the thing, doesn't address the, but was the thing itself desirable? No, actually, maybe we don't want to be facilitating producing more and more and more of ourselves right so i mean that like just the idea of like what is superior and what is inferior like what is the goal and is the goal itself honorable or something that we want to be engaged in we need to be able to have every single level of this conversation you need to be able to say actually low intensive multi-crop swidden agriculture allows for more people to be maintained on a piece of land than does hunter-gathering. And mono, big ag monocropping agriculture in the short term, especially with the, you know, nitrogen fixing chemicals that have been, that were created in the early 20th century and are now being added a lot uh, to the land, allows for even more people to persist. But 
at what cost? All these downstream effects, all of which are externalities, none of which are being added into the equation. The intermediate agricultural, uh, and there are lots of lots of ranges of, of approaches to 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 agriculturing the land. That's not the way you say it, but um, will will produce more people than hunter gathering. But how how honorable is it, and how valuable is it to humanity long term that we simply decide that more people is success and therefore better, and we're going to let the, the hunter-gatherers disappear. That's also not good. That's, it's, it's not an honorable decision to have made. But if we are, if we are prevented from talking about which, you know, which kind of way of being makes more, makes less, does, you know, if, if we can't make any judgments at all, we can't have the conversations. Like we're, we're, we're done with the conversation. So are we allowed under this rubric to talk about the fact that Europeans who traveled to the New World had superior immunity to smallpox because the New World populations... Because uh, they came from the land of smallpox? Because they came from a land in which people had a close association with... Uh, they had animal husbandry because the animals that were capable of being domesticated are uh, highly concentrated in the old world and that there was only one large mammal uh, in a position to be domesticated um, in the new world. Are, are we allowed to have that kind I mean, even Yeah, no, a, I mean, it's occurred to me, like, this is the cancellation of Jared Diamond, too. Right, Jared right? Diamond. Guns, germs, and steel, no way, no how. Right, which is, yeah. if you want to be liberated from the idea that the reason that the populations that have power today uh, are in power is that they were genetically superior, the key to unhooking that idea is Jared Diamond. Right. Understanding that what was uneven was the distribution of opportunities to do things like domesticate. And the accident of the, like, the major geographic axis on which the continent that you were on went. Absolutely. Right? Which then shows you exactly why Europeans were so successful at, uh, driving out native populations in the Americas and so unsuccessful when they tried to move north through Africa. The orientation of the continents reversed the tables on the germs. Mm. So the, the, the reverse the tables on the germs and the uh, domesticated crops that they brought with them. So the point is, if you want the antidote to the racist bullshit, you need the science to be done completely. And you need to, you know, biological, social, and cultural. Really? None of that? We're not allowed to talk about any of that anymore? What you're left with is exactly what you're talking about. You're opening the door wide to the actual racists, the, you know, the, the actual people who have no clue what is going on and are looking for an excuse to be terrible to one another. That's what we are doing here. Even worse. I mean, that is exactly what we are doing at a power level, but yeah. even worse, right? Human behavior, there are two ways you could study it, right? You could study it in a Darwinian framework which, yes, is going to tell you some things you don't want to know. It's also going to give you the keys to making history fair, right? Or you can study it in an anti-Darwinian framework, in which differences in capacity are not allowed to be discussed, in which case you are, you are inviting the pre-Darwinian world. All of the things that existed in that pre-Darwinian world, the belief in inherent superiority that was not challenged by science, that's the world you're inviting back. Yes. And the fact that it would happen at Nature, right? To have the journal Nature Human Behavior take up arms against the Darwinian study of human behavior is mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. 
two last little, little quotes from this. Again, this is the op-ed published in Nature Human Behavior this week, explaining why science is off. That's not their understanding of what they've done, but uh, gender identity, an individual's conception of self as being a man, woman, masculine, feminine, non-binary, ambivalent, etc., based in part on physical, psychological, and social factors. Oh wait, that was a definition. That wasn't a complete sentence, so that's why that read that way. It is the internal experience of a gender role. There was a broad range of, range of gender identities, including but not limited to. You ready? Oh yeah. Okay. There was a broad range of gender identities, including but not limited to transgender, gender queer, gender fluid, non-binary, gender variant, genderless, agender, non-gender, bigender, trans man, trans woman, trans masculine, trans feminine, and cisgender. Holy and moly. And then, then two paragraphs down, they say, researchers are encouraged to promote equality between men and women in their academic research, which by nature should be granted on the recognition of merit, competences, and creativity, regardless of any other personal attributes or orientation. Well, if they're going to divide <laughs> the spoils between men and women, where does that leave the gender fluid people? I don't know. Or the agender or the non-gender or the genderqueer or the, uh, or or the NBs. <laughs> Oh my, I mean, I'm actually glad that's in there because the language beforehand, if you don't know how science is supposed to work and what yep. they're actually saying and what it would do to actual science, right? It's a little subtle. It's a little I mean, subtle. That's what we're here it for. We're mean, trying to re reveal it as not being subtle, but yeah. You could have an, am I misreading this uh, yeah. response until you get to that business. And then it's like, oh, I get it. This is just some sort of ideological polemic. And our, yep. this is no longer a scientific journal. Get it. You captured it. Yep. Um, enjoy it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy it until you burn it to the ground, which you were in the process of doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's, let's, take, let's take the functional things in society, take them over, and destroy them. And then look for more things to take over and destroy. But you know what? They're not going to last forever. There's not an infinite amount of successful actual systems because you're destroying them too fast. Okay, but then next next phase. We are about to discover what, what you and I already suspect, which is that our field doesn't exist in any meaningful form anymore mm -hmm. because... Our field being broadly evolutionary biology? Is that evolutionary what you're biology. Human, human and, biology, human behavior. You know, human behavior. Our... Is our field going to come together and s say that nature, human behavior is effectively no longer a scientific journal and should not be taken seriously? Because that's the obviously right response here. Mm -hmm. Or are they going to continue to publish there and put it on their CVs proudly? And um, I don't know what the name for this behavior is, the cowardice that causes you when somebody is powerful not to call out their destruction of things that you consider to be fundamental. But if that is what happens here, then it will effectively tell you, you can safely ignore this field because, yep, they did us a favor. They published that editorial in a place that we can read it. But mm -hmm. where else do these beliefs have an important editorial role? What are they adjusting about yes. what it is you're reading in the journals? Yes. Right? Well, and that's why, you know, that's why I organized this the way I did. We started with the internet rando. And we went to the Scientific American, you yep. know, the magazine that is supposed to be disseminating a, a comprehensible version of new science to people who are smart but not scientifically uh, precise. I, I can't think of the right word, but like n not professionals within science. Yep. And then the scientific journals. And it's, like I said, 
like I said up front, it, the language sounds different. You know, these guys, uh, nature, human behavior is not talking about morphological freedom yet, but it's all the same. It's stuff. certainly opening the door to it. It's all the same stuff. It's 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 utterly insane across the board. And the fact is that you don't have to squint very hard to say actually, um, internet rando and the most prestigious prestigious scientific journal are sounding a lot like one another here. And um, they're they're all wrong. They're just they're they're pretending that reality doesn't exist and imagining that. By doing so, they will change what reality is. And that's, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. Another way to say it is that you have a, um, an ideology asserting its conclusions, its baseless conclusions, and it is doing it now. It is so powerful that it is doing it at every level. Yeah. So that if you are an internet rando yourself, you can go you know, tweet back at it on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And if you're a, you know, uh, an academic, you know, who views yourself as an important part of uh, what makes humanity civilized, then you get your version of it dressed up in the proper language for that. But the Mm -hmm. point is, there's no difference in the uh, rigor of that essay versus the internet rando. They're exactly equivalent in terms of their utility as, uh, you know, their insightfulness. It's not insight. It's the assertion of an ideological position dressed up as the conclusion of sober people thinking carefully about issues. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So that's reality for you. (laughs) Um, there are a number of things, I don't know, we've been going at it for a long time already. Uh, there are a number of other things that we thought about talking about. I don't know if you want maybe to do that, we should, save that. Maybe we should save them. Okay, uh, all of them? Well, we don't have to save all of them. Yeah, but. let's uh, let's do a little bit here. Um, I don't know if you want to do that. Unfortunately, I wouldn't buy binoculars to know. Oh, <laughs> okay. Uh, um. And then... Uh, and then I so why don't you think about that while we talk a little bit first yeah. about tennis? There you okay, go. Um, tennis, the U.S. Open, which is one of the uh, the the four biggest tennis tournaments, starts on Monday. Uh, most of our listeners, I assume, don't care about tennis, but it, it's a it's an awesome sport, and it happens to be one that my parents both played, and I played a little bit when I was a kid. So it was like it was the one sport that was we whenever the U.S. Open, the Australian Open, the French Open, or Wimbledon, which are the four Grand Slam tournaments. Um, were on, uh, we would have that on the television for those week and a half, two weeks that they were on. And in fact, I think my parents went um, uh, to at least one of one of them, one of the U.S. Opens, which is always, uh, it, it, it overlaps Labor Day in, uh, what is it? I was say Flushing Meadows, but I feel like that's a race. That's a horse race. Anyway, somewhere in New York. And uh, Novak Djokovic, uh, who is sort of vying along with uh, Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer for like, you know, which one of these guys is maybe the best male tennis player ever? Uh, I don't know if that editorial permits you to do Luckily, I'm not submitting this editorial to nature, human oh, okay. behavior. Then, no, then do go on. <laughs> yes, do go on. And in fact, I, you know, I said male. I was like, well, I don't have to say male because um, as, uh, we're not, we're not going to go here really, but... Um, 
if they are the best male tennis player ever, then they are the best tennis player ever. And that's not to say I, I played tennis. I haven't played in forever, but, uh, you know, there has been some extraordinary female tennis, women's tennis out there, but, uh, well, but the best male, the best male tennis player is better than the best female tennis player. Sorry. End of story. Done. For now. <laughs> oh. Well, if you think about it. All right. Suppose, let's just hypothetically speak. Okay, okay. Here we go. The best male tennis player mm-hmm. uh, is, uh, you know, Larry Jim Bob, you know, in some hypothetical future situation. And uh, suppose he becomes Nadine instead of Larry. Mm-hmm. Now he can be the best female tennis player and the he will now be able to beat the best male tennis player whoever it was that he had initially well in your in your ridiculous scenario though um i do think that although once having gone through puberty as a male uh you cannot undo the benefits of that male puberty uh but the act of uh, hormonal and certainly surgical transition actually does render you somewhat less capable. So uh, this is not an argument for anyone who's decided that they're the sex that they're not to be able to play with that sex. But it is suggestive that a top-notch male player who transitioned might not still be able to beat the other top-notch male players. And of course, it's telling that... Uh, you don't have men at the top of their game transitioning. You have men who are middling and can't win no, transitioning have- and then beating all the women because that's what gross men would want to do. Like, that's not sportsmanlike. That's, there's nothing honorable in this, but, you know, elite male athletes don't transition. Right. They- um, no, I, I agree. And my setup was, of course, absurd, but my yeah. real point is, you are throwing out rules that open the door to every conceivable skullduggery and to the inability to say perfectly clear things. Is the world threatened by the fact that the best male tennis player is going to permanently be better than the best female tennis player for morphological reasons, among others, that nobody chose? I don't think so. But the point is, if we can't even talk about it because... We are going to be forced to embrace the idea that, you know, trans women are women and therefore a male tennis player who transitioned to female and upended the very clear distinction between the quality of play at the top of males and female tennis, right? We are going to lose the ability to even discuss what is true, which is then going to further open the door for more madness. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but Jokovic uh, is not having trouble because there's anything about trans anywhere in his life, so far as I'm concerned. True. So, not so far as I know. I don't. I have, I have no idea. Um, he's, you know, he's a he's a character. Um, pe- you know, before COVID, uh, I definitely knew people back, especially. So Federer is 40, and he didn't play, I think, in Wimbledon this year because he had knee surgery or surgeries. But he's still like he's not retired. So I mean, the, and all of these guys, I think, are in their mid late 30s. Like all you know, the other two that we're talking about, Nadal and Djokovic, and they are all awesome. And many people find you know watching Federer play, he's just he's just beautiful. And Nadal is 
powerful and elegant, but it's a different kind of play. And then Jokovic's personality grates on people, which shouldn't affect whether or not you love to watch him play. Um, but there are, there are some people who sort of, you know, were rooting for, you know, Federer to get the most Grand Slam titles, uh, or Nadal. And, um, there are presumably Jokovic devotees, but, uh, but there were fewer of them because he's just, he's a little bit more of a brash personality. COVID happens. And he becomes one of them dirty, unvaccinated types. Becomes by changing nothing about what he was doing, right? By saying, mm, no, thank you. I'm healthy. Um, I'm good. And also, oh, by the way, I have, I don't know if he said this, but like, oh, by the way, elite male athletes mm, seem to be not doing so well at some level with these things. And, um, I don't need one. Earlier this year, that meant that the Australian Open, he was already in country, I think, uh, said, actually, you're not, you're not allowed to play. We're deporting you or we're taking away your visa or whatever. They, I think they locked him up briefly. Yeah, they quarantined him, even though there was no evidence of his being sick. And then they, and then they kicked him out. And this is, you know, there, I think, I think he and Nadal and Federer are all like neck and neck for the number of Grand Slam titles they'll get. And okay, that was one that he just had no access to. And now, uh, the U.S. isn't allowing him to come play in the U.S. Open, even though, Finally, some of the stupid narrative around COVID vaccines is unraveling, and there are going to be unvaccinated people in the stands watching, and unvaccinated people, um, at least citizens, can freely come and go from the U.S., and the president of the country who is presumably ultimately responsible for this decision is quadruple vaxxed and has been on Paxlovid and all of the best, best, best stuff, and he's gotten COVID twice because that's how protective these insane so-called treatments are. And so what is this? How, who is this protecting? Ah. So unfortunately, you know, if, if what this results in is Nadal, awesome, amazing athlete that he is, ends up with the most Grand Slam titles of, of any man, there's forever, ever, ever an asterisk after his name. It's not his fault. It's not Jokovic's fault. It's not because Jokovic not taking one of these stupid treatments into his arm uh, is not responsible for the dis- arbitrary authoritarian decision of supposedly democratic governments. Yeah, uh, I think it's even worse. Um, there is a way in which there has been a fervor to uh, transfect people with these agents that has to many of us suggested a desire to do away with anyone uh, against whom to compare the health of people who have had these treatments. The control group is small. Right. Mm-hmm. Eliminating the control group has has been one of very few obvious explanations for the level of fervor for reaching everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, I hate to say this, but the people who are playing in these tournaments apparently did get transfected. And given the nature of the danger, especially of the mRNA versions of these transfection agents, it is not impossible that there would be some subclinical damage in some, or depending on the pharmacokinetics of these things, multiple. And so the question is, if you're going to prevent the pattern from being provable, again, you have to intervene somewhere else. It's rather a lot like uh, nature, human behavior, taking up arms against the idea that something might be better than something else in the realm of humans. You know, you don't very well want tennis players free not to take these treatments and then to see a competition, an athletic competition between people who did and people who didn't. You might be, you know, if you had enough variation, you might actually be able to see something. And 
Um, you know, I hate living in that world, but given, given the, but we didn't create it. We didn't create it. And what's more, our worst fears about what was causing the conversation to go the way that it did as these things were actively being pushed. I mean, they're still being pushed weirdly, but as they were so actively being pushed, you know, we now know that there was an army of people hired to shape conversation online, right? That these were paid shills. We suspected there were paid shills, but we now just, this is just a simple fact. And so in any case, I do think we have to worry about things as troubling as are they trying to deny us the evidence that would become apparent if we were simply able to go from here and watch the world uh, unfold the way it would and be able to compare people who made different decisions and just see what happened to them. There shall be no comparison or investigation or testing of hypotheses that we find unsavory. Right, exactly. And this is unsavory for a different reason. This is unsavory for, you know, pharma capture corruption reasons. But uh and, and just you know, just to be clear, again, this hypothesis sounds plausible um by many rubrics, but promoting a hypothesis, proposing a hypothesis is not saying, I believe that thing is true. Proposing hypotheses is what scientists do. It's what we do. We therefore, in seeing a pattern and making an observation, it is our job to come up with all of the possible explanations for why that pattern or that observation might exist. It is our job to come up with all of them. If this hypothesis wasn't being proposed here, given that it is a possibility, that would be an indication that something is awry. Right. So every time a hypothesis is proposed and some frickin' internet rando says, aha, conspiracy theorist, that is a demonstration that that internet rando, like most people apparently, don't know what science is or how it's done. Right. And they may the proposing not, of a hypothesis is necessary to the doing of science. They may not even be a rando. That's what we now know. They may be Precisely. posing as a rando. <laughs> um, or, or, or they might not be posing as a rando. There are a lot of people who are not randos on the internet <clears throat> making crazy claims about, look at all these conspiracy theorists out there when they really ought to know better that actually proposing hypotheses is what scientists do and shutting down conversation and shutting down the idea of what might be possible is what crazy people who want the end of democracy yeah, I mean, and it, you know, I'm 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 proud that we coined the term medically woke because mm -hmm. the point is we are now able to see out in broad daylight that this is just a different version of the authoritarianism with a different target, right? It's yes. the same toolkit, right? You will not be able to say these things uh, if we find you even thinking them. Terrible things will happen to you, mm -hmm. so don't think them. Yeah, um, and you know, in this case, it's it's a physiological topic rather than uh, a moral one, but. Yep. Um, but in any case, I did also want to point out, though, you know, I don't follow tennis. I, have, of course, what little I've encountered it, I have certainly heard, you know, the assertions that uh, uh, Djokovic is, uh, you know, unlikable or something along these lines. I now feel very differently about this, sure. right? My sense is, oh, he's disagreeable, right? That's he's the word. He's disagreeable. Mm -hmm. yep. And he has done something important here. He's become, he's not only a historical figure in tennis, 
he is now actually a historical figure for taking a stand in this context where um, mm -hmm. where others have not. And, you know, yeah, I do feel bad that, you know, Nadal, for example, if he, you know, achieves the ma maximum Grand Slam wins, uh, will have the asterisk. But that that is a tiny, tiny price compared to having somebody in a different milieu where we haven't seen a lot of courage on this front stand up and say, actually, I will, I will accept the cost to my my historical significance in tennis to do what I believe is the right thing here mm -hmm. in terms of my health, right? Yep. And many more people should be making um, that that decision. Indeed. That's right. Are we there? Or do you want to pick up one of these other one of these other topics? No, I think I think we're probably there. I yep. I guess um, the I did want to say one last thing, which is Go that the problem here is that now uh, one has to have one of two views about what's going on in tennis, right? Mm. Either, either is it Jokovic? Jokovic, yeah. Jokovic. Uh, either Jokovic is a troublemaker who, you know, isn't doing his part to protect people from COVID by getting his vaccination and he's being punished by, you know, the uh, powers that be because we, we, what we need is compliance. Or he's a hero mm -hmm. who is standing up to those powers in spite of the fact that it may cost him a piece of his legacy in tennis. And I would just point out that, you know, it is odd that they have turned tennis into a team sport. Right? <laughs> it's, it's Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a very troubling phenomenon. But increasingly, I think we just need to look at this. Um, oh, and actually, there's another example of this yeah. uh, out today. I don't know if you uh, encountered it. Did you see this story about um, the Mar-a-Lago search I did not. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I know that that happened. Right. You're but talking something about some emerged story? today. Okay. Yes. Uh, in the New York Times, uh, at the very least, the strong implication emerged. Uh, it's a two-part implication. The implication is that Trump took- This is as reported in the New York Times. Yes. Okay. That the, motive, the uh, warrant was apparently in part motivated by- this is the claim of the New York Times. I am saying one way or the other. Mm -hmm. The claim is that Trump took documents that contained information about uh, confidential informants to our intelligence apparatus, and separately, that confidential informants to our intelligence apparatus have been uh, uh, killed, compromised, or captured at an anomalous rate. Since Trump left office. Something, 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 something. Yeah. That th this is a pattern that has been noticed in intelligence circles. Um, why are they being compromised at an anomalous rate? The assertion that Trump took documents that contains relevant information and okay. the therefore connect the dots implication is that uh, he, he may have handed that information over to people that's getting these people killed. Now, I, I want to point something out about this. Somebody is engaged in treason. Could be Trump, but that seems really unlikely here, right? Because it's obvious treason to hand over information on confidential informants that are important to the US, U.S. intelligence apparatus. If informants are truly being compromised, killed, whatever, et cetera, uh, at an anomalous rate, if it truly is anomalous, yeah. then a breach has happened. And so wherever that breach was, that was a treasonous breach. No, no, no. No. We got two candidates here. One candidate is Trump and the extraordinary idea that a 
president would have left office, taken those documents, hand them over to people, knowing that that would result in things happening to those informants in the field, right? That I would do obviously about motive here. That I would like obviously the other, but okay. <laughs> irrespect, even if yes. he had the motive, okay. right? I don't. I I do put this past Trump. I would not imagine him leaving office, right? Especially hoping to return to office, compromising American informants abroad. So either he did that which the New York Times certainly wants us to wonder about mm-hmm. or the New York or someone Times, else did it no or well, the New York Times no, office but or the New York Times is engaged in treason in alleging so that's the point if you are a journalistic establishment that on the basis of extremely weak circumstantial evidence is going to raise this allegation about a former president Right, well, you are engaged in a betrayal of the nation at an extreme level. I, I would have to read the article, so you you haven't even shown me the article here. Well, let's, so let's, I don't uh, know. So let's just at least put it up so people know what we're talking about. I sent you a screenshot. Oh, you did. Well, maybe it's not worth it. He's going to have to go find it. From your description of what's in the article, I don't have a clear enough understanding of. Uh, what you know? What has been seen of what the justification for the? Yeah, I'm missing all the right legal words here, but of the of the raid. The raid, the, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, if 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 there's a document that is in the public domain or that the New York Times has shared the relevant parts of that, I, that's I can't. That's not. I can't make sense of that. <laughs> there's a screenshot of a title of a okay. of an article on a screen. Um, you are claiming something that seems to me. Maybe, but I, I haven't heard anything yet that, that convinces me of that. Well, I mean, I, I think you, uh, you can certainly say, assuming the following is true, either the New York Times came out with evidence today that Trump compromised informants, uh, to the American intelligence establishment in a way that got them or likely got them killed. Either they present that evidence, or if they do not present that evidence, then Alleging such such a thing or placing those dots so that they will be connected about a former president without that evidence is well. How would it? So if 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 that, which again, you, you just you threw this at me. I've never heard of this before. Like two minutes ago, five minutes ago, something. But even even if the latter, what they're doing is egregious against a former president. But is that treason? I believe so. There, so the problem is that this is obviously somebody who's eligible to be reelected today. But you know, so slan- slandering citizens is not treason. Slandering former presidents who are eligible to be reelected, I believe, is tantamount to it if it is not based on evidence. I mean, if if it's slander. I just don't have any of the information in front of me. All right. So you know, I, I've, I've said what I have to say here. I'm, I'm not. I'm not convinced. But I don't know. Like, you can show me what you've seen, and then Fair perhaps, enough. perhaps we can come back to it, or hopefully not. <laughs> or, uh, or perhaps the New York Times will um, put its foot more clearly in its mouth at another. Well, moment. I will say you don't have to respond to it, but I will yeah. say um, their uh, journalistic ethics would require the New York Times to behave very, very carefully in light of this possibility and what they have done. What possibility? The possibility that a former president has compromised 
confidential informants of the U.S. intelligence apparatus in such a way that has gotten them killed. Mm -hmm. Were that possible, the right journalistic thing to do would be to go very slow, not put it into public, attempt to find that information rather than report on it willy-nilly, right? Connecting those dots or placing those dots so that they will be connected is um, a political act. A political act in a highly charged context, and this wasn't in the uh, opinion pages. This was in the news no. section. Yeah, and that, I mean that's that's something we haven't really talked about. Um, the nature of human behavior op-ed that we spent so much time talking about today is labeled an op-ed, but an op-ed at nature is so a, a scientific journal is different from a newspaper in a lot of ways, right? Uh, a newspaper has a news team and it's separate from its editorial team. And the editorial team uh, both writes some editorial pieces, but also solicits editorials from from other people. Uh, and the news team is separate. There's like a firewall between them, right? And that is as it needs to be because the editorial pages of the newspaper doesn't make the newspaper. The news is over in the news part. Whereas a scientific journal like Nature Human Behavior has... Um, has scientific papers in it, and it also has editorials sometimes and news sometimes, but it's all the same people. There is no expectation of firewall. There is no presumption of or expectation of firewall. So it's the editors who are doing the first pass on the scientific papers that come in. Do I just reject out of hand? Do I send to peer review? Do, you know, and if peer review, which peer reviewers do I send it to? It's the same editors who wrote this op-ed. So there's no firewall there. And I mean, this, this actually is, I think, important too, in terms of like, what, what are we seeing in terms of the breakdown of our institutions and our organizations? Scientific journals and newspapers aren't the same. They aren't structured in the same way. You can't have the same expectations of them. But one thing that is true is if this article that you're talking about that I've, you know, barely seen a headline for was published in the New York Times in the opinion pages, they can do whatever they want. But the standards are different when they are publishing it in the news division. And Well, I mean, there are three tiers. You've got uh, the news division, you've got a New York Times uh, editorial, and then you've got op-eds by columnists, and the standards are, would be different for all of those. Well, but there's two divisions. The, the, the op-eds written by the editorial staff at the New York Times and the op-eds written by out people from the outside – which are solicited by the editorial staff, yeah. or um, or there, you know, you can also like cold call is not the right word. But you, can, you also submit, and you know, maybe you can accept, maybe you don't. Um, but that's all sort of in house in the editorial wing, and then the news wing is different. Yeah, um, I agree. I just uh, the the statement that they can do whatever they want is obviously too strong because it's it's a little too strong, but under the auspices of this is our opinion. They're allowed to do a lot more. There's, and they have more. Par, and part of what you're saying is there's a news article. There's an article that is purporting to be news, that is reporting the news. All the news that's fit, that is fit to print, I believe, is the New York Times logo or uh, motto, rather. Yeah. Uh, and if they reliably print all the news that fits their ideology that is fit to print and not all the news that doesn't fit their ideology uh, that is fit to print, then they have fallen down on their journalistic standards and they aren't doing journalism anymore. Right. I'm saying something more, which is that if they are attempting to create the impression that a former president has committed treason and it is not based on uh, 
actual evidence. It is based on the juxtaposition of facts that do not have a relationship to each other, right? Then what is it to allege treason or to create the impression of treason artificially by juxtaposing those objects in your, you know, news pages, right? And my point is um, that that is an egregious breach in the context, especially of a person who is eligible uh, to run for office, that that is uh, an exotic intervention into a political discussion um, masquerading as an evidentiary claim. All right. Anything else? I think that's it. Okay. Well, we are going to do a Q&A as we do most weeks. Uh, we will take about a 15-minute break and come back. You can ask questions at darkhorsesubmissions.com. You can also, if you want a, uh, a longer and more intimate Q&A with us uh, tomorrow where we actually can engage the chat, you can find that by going to my Patreon and joining there. Uh, and Brett also has a couple of conversations coming up on his Patreon. We encourage you to join us there. Uh, you can, if you have any logistical questions like, um, hey, I've got a card I want to send them, uh, which we do, we get some cool mail. Uh, you can either go to either of our websites and find an address or email darkhorsemoderator at gmail.com uh, for, uh, for logistical questions. But it's darkhorsesubmissions.com for the questions for the Q&A. Lots else to say, but maybe we will sign off with be good to the ones you love, eat good food, and get outside. Be well, everyone. <laughs>